Uh, Phil, when was your last bowl of cereal? I haven't had a bowl of cereal since I was probably 10 years old. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh my God. I don't know. I'm not a milk guy. I, I don't know. I don't like a ton of milk. It's just, it makes my stomach feel bad. So you're like a, like a, one of the early adopters of the lactose free movement. Well, I'm not. Okay. So obviously working in a restaurant, I'm, I'm very anti gluten free, anti lactose free, <laughs> anti everything free. Not just a, restaurant, I, a, a pasta restaurant. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, sometimes we see these tickets come in, ring into the kitchen and it's like, no gluten, no garlic, no onion, no salt. Like what, what do you want from an Italian restaurant? Like, what are you going to eat here? Go, yeah. go somewhere like else. <laughs> right. Um, well, that's interesting. That was not the answer as I was expecting. I kind of expected you to be like a sneaky twice a week cookie crisp type guy. Oh no, I'm not a cereal guy. Okay. Well, uh, I have just reintroduced cereal into my life. Um, Abby got like nice cereal from Costco and with almond milk because i agree like i could do almond milk yeah i could definitely do it with almond milk i up until like the first year out of college i was a like glass of milk with dinner guy which is disgusting (laughs) thinking about it well i mean that's what people do when they want to put on weight like you know it's not like out of this world unheard of back in the day like sophomore year of college when that was the only priority was trying to get to 180 pounds i was drinking like half a gallon of milk every single day um, which is astronomical. Meanwhile, Clayton <laughs> was, was our good friend and the twice as big as version of me, uh, was doing a whole <laughs> gallon of milk every single <laughs> of whole milk, which is just. That, I, that would make me throw up. I, I, I cannot handle that much lactose. Couldn't do it. Yeah. I, I haven't done the, the glass of milk in a while, but I also can't do almond milk like straight. It's gotta be in stuff. So I like almond milk in my coffee. Yes. Yep, that's that's the move out here. Is uh, Dunkin' Donuts iced iced with one really quick on. before we get into baseball. That reminds me: is Starbucks a big thing out in Boston, or is it all Dunkin' Donuts? Uh, it is. Yeah, I mean, it's there's definitely like a business class to it. Like, um, yeah, uh, Dunkin' is the every person's coffee, and it's and the also, working. It's the blue collar. <laughs> also, D- Dunkin'. Um, a lot of people go to Dunkin' and like leave there with these iced coffees that there is no the cult it's a clear plastic container there's no set resemblance or no evidence of the color brown in in what disgusting they so basically we talk about milk just like a, a liquefied milkshake that is somehow still a coffee item uh that's what duncan supplies a lot so when the phrase is america runs on duncan Yes, uh, Dun- Duncan runs through America is, yeah. <laughs> is the correct phrasing. Uh, it's so gross. Oh God. I mean, that's why we have an obesity problem in this country. Not to get onto like that, but it's gross. Yeah. One time I, um, in my teaching days, I was running like a, a raffle where students got tickets for, you know, doing wh- whatever I needed them to be doing homework and good behavior and stuff like that. And, um, this one kid, and then if they won, I would get their their breakfast order from Duncan for on a, like a Friday or something like that. Yeah. And this one kid, Michael, uh, he, he he won, and so I was like, Michael, what do you want um, for winning this? And his answer at, for at seven in the morning on in in like this was probably February in Massachusetts was a watermelon culotta, which is essentially a Slurpee <laughs> at seven in the morning. 
Why that? I mean, I would have rather you'd called it a, a, a Slurpee rather than a watermelon culotta. So uh, gross. So so gross. Yeah. I mean, kids are gross regardless, but um, but Duncan Duncan has so much just garbage to offer. A uh, little piece of personal news before we start here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a warrior. I'm playing hurt today. Oh. I stepped on a rusty nail about. Mm, three or four days ago. Um, I went into the urgent care yesterday. Um, I got a bunch of antibiotics cause I had to get a tetanus shot cause I haven't gotten a tetanus shot in a while, mm-hmm. but the lady pulled the, the nail out and she's like, she said to me, and this is, it's funny cause I didn't even realize this was a thing, but she was like, only men would have a nail in their foot for three days before yes, they come to the doctor. Days? Yeah. Well, I thought it was just going to work itself out of my foot. And like, eventually it started getting swollen and I tried to pull it out myself and that didn't work. So I was just like, okay, I got to go to the urgent care. So I went to the urgent care and I got pulled out. This is like Frankenstein with bolts in your neck. I, I know. Well, it was, a, it was, a, I know people can't see at home, but that's about how big the nail was. It wasn't wow. very big. Phil is holding up a foot long nail. <laughs> Uh, no, it was, it was very tiny, but still, that, yeah. that's nuts. Yeah. Is this this is the second podcast that I can remember you playing hurt. There was one where your your foot was was uh, elevated. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my my right foot has been through a lot. I sprained my ankle. I put a nail into it. Yeah. Uh, in the immortal words of uh, Jeremy Renner in the town, there goes college soccer. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, best wishes to you and your foot. I, I, Thank you. I, I hope there's no greater infection. Also, depends on where you stepped on the nail. No, they they took they they gave me antibiotics, so that, that's clearing it up. I mean, is this a Bellevue nail or a or a Pike Place nail? Or a no, Pike this is a Pioneer Square nail. This is okay. a real this is a real rusty nail. This is okay. a real salt nail here. Well, hang in there because that <laughs> Bellevue nail would somehow like have medicinal qualities and yeah, <laughs> it would it'd be like scented too. You'd be able to open up your own spa where you give people the rusty nail treatment and. Yeah, um, different different world over there. But anyways, this is a Mariners baseball podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's do baseball. Cereal and tetanus. Um, well, Phil, the the season is over. I, I yeah think that it already had that happened the last time we spoke. The sixty games have been played. I I, I believe we were actually just like on the last couple of games. I think. Maybe not. I can't even remember. I have no idea. But anyways, uh, this season is now over. Uh, at least for the Mariners, there's currently playoff baseball going on uh, as we speak. Um, but let's start with the post-conference or post-press conference, post-season, post-regular mm-hmm. season press conferences from uh, Jerry DePoto and Scott Service. Um, there was a certain word that was bantied around by both of them. Uh, that word was starts- it roughly? <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, that word starts with P and ends with layoffs. Um, layoffs, yeah. is an interesting word, in, roughly the playoffs in, in Mariners, Mariners culture. But anyway, Scott Service said, I think the next step looking into 2021 is now we've got to get over the hump and win and get into the playoffs. And Jerry DePoto said, Our goal will be to go out there and contend for a playoff spot. I don't think that's an unrealistic goal. Okay, what so do you when that, you hear that word come from those guys, the word that I am hanging on there with the DePoto thing, Service will say whatever, I don't really listen to him in terms of like 
player acquisition, sure. like large scale. His job is simply to just get the players to go out there and improve and play their best. He doesn't really have any sort of sway in terms of like roster construction or anything like that. Yeah, the word that I like, we should, we should uh, maybe focus on the rebuild a little bit more next year. Like that's definitely. Yeah. <laughs> well, he would, they would all like that because it would buy him more time, but True. anyway, the way I listen to that quote, and the word that is the most important word in there when you're trying to parse the Jerry DePoto language and see what he really thinks, the word that I think is the most important there is we think we're going to contend for the playoffs. That does not mean I think we are a playoff contender. Mm -hmm. It means I think we are going to be in a position where you're going to look probably at the end of August and you're going to say, Hey, they're only seven or eight games back. You know, if everything broke, right. Yeah. Kind of similar to this year, right. Where, you know, even though it was an abbreviated season and the, the standings were much more truncated, you know, we were three games back with eight to play, you know, it's, it's in all likelihood, not going to happen, but at least there is this sort of like, Hey, these games in September are worth watching. This is going to be fun to watch, you know? And yeah, I don't, I don't believe, and and I was, um, you know, just in my head putting together, I use just, it's very rough math, and war, you know, wins over replacement is not at all the end-all, be-all that a lot of people like to make it out to be, but I was just looking through the roster next year and kind of giving some some even generous estimates, and granted, the bullpen this year had a negative war, and let's just call that uh, an average bullpen next year because they've, you know, said and they're dedicating themselves to trying to put together a better bullpen let's just call it an average bullpen but even being generous down the line it's still a team that has a little farther to go than 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 what we would expect out of a normal playoff team granted if this whole eight teams in each division thing stays uh, sure anyone can make the playoffs in that case you know it's it's a free-for-all yeah, and in that case, eighty-one wins might be the uh, the ticket in, um, especially yeah. with the the landscape of the division as it is. Um, I do think that that any sort of of machinations about uh, where this team fits in the playoff picture have a lot to do with a the, the progress the Mariners showed internally, um, b maybe pressure from ownership to like quit messing around and just. Mm -hmm. You do the do the kind of slingshot version of, of the of the rebuild where you build you know get a lot of talent. And then spend a little bit to just get yourself over the hump. And uh, we saw that with the Padres. You know, they got yeah. Machado a year before they were ready, but they that the, and they got Hosmer two years before they were ready. But they were committed to their young core, but they wanted to supplement it, and they didn't really care when they did that as long as they got the right guy. And they thought Machado was the right guy, so they didn't mind going a year early. Maybe we could see something like that with the Mariners this year. Do I expect that to be the case? Probably not just because of how dedicated and firm they have been. And a big, a big, uh, another clue to that would be the resistance to call up Kellenick and Gilbert. If they were just thinking, hey, let's go for it, that, that would have happened early on in, in the 2020 season. Yeah, the Brewers with Yelich, the same kind of thing of, of just seeing an opportunity. You have enough enough in the, the stash already, plus, you know, one, one big acquisition, you're right there, uh, ready to contend. And, you know, the, the Brewers are in the playoffs this year and a, a stable franchise. And they, you know, kind of took, took the, the quick backseat sucked for a couple of years, got their talent in order, and then built something that's semi-sustainable. And obviously as Mariner fans, we would probably take that because. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. The alternative and that's the thing about getting into the playoffs. And I know everyone kind of knows this intuitively, but you look at the playoffs right now, 
it's five game series, right? It's it's a crap. It's not exactly a crapshoot, but it is much less predicated on true skill than any other of the four major American sports. Once you're in the playoffs, anyone can win in the playoffs. It's not like that in the NBA where you're seeing the same, you know, top teams winning year over year. And in the NFL, mostly, even though it's one game, you know, usually you're seeing that play a big factor. And, you know, the NFL obviously has buys and stuff like that. But in baseball, a five-game series, you have two great pitchers, even if you're the worst team you can absolutely win that series. So it, it really just is about getting into the playoffs. It's not about being the best playoff team because that's not necessarily um, a predictor of future success. Yeah, the, the 2019 Nats are a great example of that. They had three transcendent players um, playing transcendently for, for an entire series against a team that was probably, you know, uh, one through 25 more talented than they were Astro mm-hmm. with the Astros. But um, you know, you have Scherzer and Strasburg and, and Juan Soto just pounding and that's all it takes. Uh, yeah. So uh, the, the Mariners could certainly find themselves in a situation like that. Uh, it just w- when they start saying that that playoffs word, obviously, you know, you don't want to tell people you're going to suck one more year. There's already enough stupidity on Mariners Twitter and on right. you know, the, the, the Corey Brock comments on any, any piece he puts up about, you know, oh, this this team just. Uh, is, is still still shitty as it always has been that just don't understand the long-term picture obviously you're not playing for those people but mm-hmm. i think and those people will obviously come around when the team starts to win those people are the easiest fans in the world to win over right. it's the the ones that are actually burned are the ones that probably had to sit through a bunch of dumb moves from bavasi and zarenzik but now we're seeing i think at this point we can fairly confidently say we don't know how if Jerry DePoto is a top five GM in the MLB, but we know he is at least at the very least, he is a confident GM that should be uh, rewarded with the playoffs at some point in the near future. He's confident enough that that should be coming. I liked your pronunciation of, of uh, Bavasi there. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm trying to just move that guy out of my mind. I don't care how much. Bavasi sounds like um like a German like plastic bottle of wine or of, <laughs> of vodka that, that like has ruined, ruined people's lives. I miss traveling. I miss going over there. Yeah. Soon. Uh, yeah. Well, um, another guy with, with a, you know, a, a name that sounds well-traveled and a guy that got brought up, I think in, at least in the wheelhouse. Um, I, I don't know. what. Uh, the- how many minutes are we in? Um, what, like 10 minutes before we mentioned the wheelhouse? 10 minutes. Yeah. It's not bad. As long as we're double digits, I think that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, a guy whose name we literally never mentioned this year on the podcast, yeah. at least I didn't, uh, Anthony Masevich um, was someone. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I never mentioned him either. Yeah. I mean, he, he was kind of low key, the Mariners best reliever. Um, yeah. He's kind of nasty. He had a, a FIP of, of 3.04 this year, uh, 25 strikeouts against just six walks. His curveball, 81st percentile and spin rate. Um, you know, they, they say meat hook, right? Like meat hook. Uh, yeah, I, wouldn't quite I like that. that. Like like a, more of a, a coat hanger. Um, <laughs> you know, that, that smaller fish hook. So this is the deal with this guy. Um, and I've actually, believe it or not, weirdly enough, kind of followed his minor league career with a little bit of interest because I thought he was somebody who could be a back end of the rotation starter. And for the longest time in the minor leagues, he was a starter. 
and he was sitting, you know, 89 to 91. He was kind of that classic fringy guy with decent location and he got by on okay. Everything about his profile was just sort of okay. Like there was nothing that was going to wow you. His command was not like plus plus like a guy like George Kirby. And it, and it wasn't like electric stuff like Edwin Diaz, but he was just kind of okay. He was almost like a sort of like an LJ Newsome type of guy. And then I don't know what the Mariners saw in him, but um, they said, hey, for whatever reason, we think your stuff is going to tick up in the bullpen. We think that you could be a, a, a nice piece there. And all of a sudden he's coming out throwing 95, 96, 97. And then there's a real profile there because he's maintained that, that sort of competency in terms of his command and control. And the stuff is ticked up quite a bit. Is that going to stay? Again, we've talked so many times on this podcast about um, how a reliever can look great one year. And then the next year he looks like he doesn't know how to throw a baseball. Relievers are inherently like that. So would I bet my bottom dollar that this guy is even going to break camp with the Mariners next year? Probably not. But is it, a, is it another interesting guy to sort of throw in the pile? Absolutely. And you look at teams like the Dodgers who have good bullpens year over year. It's because they always have, if they're going to roll with eight, eight relievers, they have 15 relievers that are at least interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's, uh, that's, that's the stable you're trying to build. And that's part of the reason why I think the, the um, idea of the playoffs is so far-fetched to me, at least with the Mariners is that, you know, that, that number you just said 15 is the, is the competency level. The Mariners are probably like two, uh, maybe, yeah. maybe for, for, for that bullpen stash. So a lot of work to be done, especially in that, in that regard, but obviously, you know, some, some runoff with, you know, David Price was at one point a reliever for, for the, the Rays cause he wasn't able to crack the rotation they had when he was, when he was young. Um, but he was extremely serviceable for them when they were making their ascendancy when you know, I was like the, what? Oh, seven, Oh eight playoff run. Yeah. And you even look, unless you use the Rays again, you even look at a guy like Tyler Glass now. He's going to be a starter eventually. But right now in the playoffs, the Rays are using him kind of like a fireman coming in at certain points to to sort of get out of this tough situations. You know, things like that where his, his stuff really ticks up. Yeah, well, I, I really just want to get practice saying Masevich out loud and, and nailing the Yeah, piece. that's going to be an interesting one. We have some uh, names on the team, Margavicious, Masevich. And there is a lot of uh, contention amongst Goldsmith and – Depoto about how to say the name Margavisich. Margavisich. I don't now. I can't even say it. But one of them says it Margavisich, and the other one says Margavisich. I don't know. I can't even say it anymore. In my mind, it's just Margavisich for, for Margavisich. Yeah. The 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 the, the Fergalicious um, remix that I will do it at one point. Um, Dylan Moore was another name that came up and a guy we've talked a lot about recently uh, for various reasons, but the way that, that, um, that Jerry DePoto was talking about Dylan Moore uh, made me even more than I did when you first said it really like that Ben Zobrist comp, because I think mm-hmm. the plan with, with Dylan Moore is, you know, screw a position. He's, he's played yeah. all of them, but catcher, including pitcher um, since, since he's been in um, he can hit, he has great, tools he's had you know a a good extended run here in this season don't worry about him finding an everyday position but his his value is his versatility um you know he'll he'll maybe start he'll play left field for a month and then an injury moves him to third um Mm -hmm. or or what have you but he's he's worth having on the mariners roster and that could make in the lineup every day exactly or make him worth having on someone else's roster who's looking for that type of versatility and would pay big money for it I don't know how it became a thing in baseball where 
uh, versatility and like a utility man, so to speak, was kind of looked at like in a derogatory sense, like, oh, he's just he's just one of those versatile guys. Versatility is a great asset. It's it's something. And if you have a guy who can play all the positions and hit competently, that's far, far, far more valuable than a guy who's just planted at second base or a guy who's just planted at left field. A guy who can move around the diamond, give guys off days, spell in for uh, injured player, things like that, where you can get his lineup or his bat in the lineup every day without ha- and now you can, you know, rest a guy or you can sit a guy who's slumping, let him go get some swings in the cages or whatever. Having ten good or nine great hitters instead of 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 the eight that you normally would have would. It is nothing but a, a net positive and being able to move him around the diamond and get him looks at every position is, is, is a totally a great thing. And I think the only reason we look at versatility sort of in this negative light is because for the longest time in, in baseball, the guy who was versatile also couldn't really hit. And he was only on the team because versatility was his only asset. Dylan Moore has tons of other things about him that are great besides the versatility. The versatility is just a little cherry on top. Utility we haven't seen since uh, my dad's favorite player, uh, Willie Bloomquist, I think. just Yeah, I mean, if Willie Bloomquist could hit like Dylan Moore, that would have been an all-star type player. And Willie B had a nice little career for himself. He got paid in Arizona. Um, I think he ended up in Kansas City as well. I don't know if he was on that championship team, but... um, but yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's nice to be able to fit in elsewhere. Uh, however, however a team needs you. I did the first time we talked about Zobrist, I had a fact about him wrong. Uh, he was not traded directly from the Rays to the Cubs. He was traded from the Rays to the A's and then the A's to the Royals and then was signed by the Cubs. Uh, but a he little feels tri- like such an A's player, Ben Zobrist, <laughs> like just like that good, really good guy that no one really realizes is really good. And of course the A's traded him um, for value and they traded him to the uh, the Royals, who got a championship out of it. Um, do you know who the A's traded Ben Zobrist for? Is it going to make me mad? A little. Uh, Olsen. Sean Manaya. God, and he's pitching right now, Manaya is. And he's pitching? Yep. Yeah, he's pitching okay. Full circle there. Uh, but, yeah, that's – that's uh, that's a, and the, the Rays Hall that they got for Zobrist to Oakland was nowhere near that. Um Oakland always seems to extract like uh you know what they got for Sean Doolittle to uh, trading him to the Nationals Mm -mm. they got Blake Trinan who was probably when in his time in Oakland better than uh Sean Doolittle and they also got Jesus Lizardo yeah uh our our fantasy team darling who just couldn't put it together this season um but will be very good soon Mm -hmm. um Two, two, two locations that came up from, from um, the DePoto and, and service uh, press conferences, uh, the Arizona fall camp, which I think is mm-hmm. like right now, um, October 1st. Yeah. They, they started on October 1st. That's right. A 40 man roster down there that includes names such as Julio Rodriguez, Taylor Trammell, uh, Noel V. Marte, another name who has uh, not been said on this, this podcast, at least that I can remember. Uh, but probably will be in. in uh, he'll be set. He'll be talked about quite a bit. I think that guy's got real, real, real stuff. The way people talk about him is is um, similar to how people talked about Julio probably two years ago. Of just yeah, like, and I just saw I saw a comp. I saw a comp from a um, uh, a scout that kind of blew my mind, and he he qualified it. He said, "I don't think he's going to become this, but this is what I see." He said Ronald Acuna. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a lot of ceiling there. Uh, I'll take that. Hopefully he flips a bat uh, as well as, as he does. Yeah. 
uh, Emerson Hancock, Sam Carlson, Matt Brash, the guy who came back from the Taylor Williams trade, um, are going down to be in Arizona to spend some time developing. They'll play 24 games against the Padres, uh, Royals, and Rangers in similar setups. Um, mm-hmm. This is cool. Glad it's happening. It's yeah. To- the only downside is that there's uh, no cameras and no press allowed, so we can't really see how they're doing, which kind of sucks. But mm-hmm. yeah. I think it's it's mostly uh it's just an internal let's grow these guys and then I think scouts in some capacity mm-hmm. will be there, um, which is important for maybe a later discussion. You know what's interesting about um, I just want to mention Tremel being there and not uh, Kellenic and Gilbert. They they mentioned uh, Depoto did at least that you know he wasn't going to send the guys who he thought were right on the doorstep of the major leagues. He was going to let them go home. Uh, and give them their own off-season workout to get ready for spring training to compete for a spot on the roster. Interesting, because you'd feel like Tramel would be right in the mix with yeah. those other guys, but apparently they feel like he has a, a little more work to do than those other guys. Yeah, Tramel seemed like a guy to me, based off of how old he is and and you know just his prospect level, that he could be your fourth or fifth outfielder starting next season. Uh, yeah, have on the team for his speed, but. Maybe they just want an extended look on at, at him. Uh, with- yeah, and I think they probably want to do some things where, you know, every organization does it where they get a guy and they say, ooh, this guy's got a lot of potential, but we want to teach him how to swing our way. We want to teach him how to field our way. We want to teach him this and that and see if we can maximize his skill set. Yeah, uh, overall, a good thing. I don't know how much we'll, uh, information we'll get out unless Depoto says something specifically, but um, glad it's happening. Uh, and then another place in, in the United States that seems to matter that's random uh, b- behind Arizona is Burlington, North Carolina. Yeah. Uh, nicknames. Home of the Burlington co-factory. Yep. Uh, not true, actually. I found yeah, that. Yeah, no. <laughs> I just made that up. Uh, I don't think you need votes in Burlington, North Carolina. But uh, yeah. nicknames for this town include B-Town, The Buck, Bucktown. Um, so we have to call it Bucktown, not Burlington. Bucktown. Um, but anyways, uh, can you explain what is going on or what went what was happening in Bucktown that we weren't necessarily privy to until a couple weeks ago. Yeah. I mean, I wish I could, but there was no, um, there again, no cameras, no, no media. We didn't even, nobody even knew that this was really even a thing until DePoto announced, Oh, and by the way, we've had some other guys training here. Luckily, what I do know about it is that we know the names and the biggest name, of course. And we talked about this and lamented that the fact that he wasn't on that, uh, satellite camp in Tacoma with Sam Carlson because he's already been out for the last two years dealing with Tommy John and we really would have liked to see him at least put together I COVID obviously changed the entire landscape of minor league development this year but it's nice to see and it's a little heartening to see that the Mariners haven't given up on Carlson because when he was drafted remember he was drafted in the second round but the Mariners went under slot on Evan White because they were saving up to go over slot to get uh, Sam Carlson out of his commitment to uh, Florida. Carlson, by all accounts, was a top 15 prospect. He dropped to the second round because of those signability concerns. But the Mariners, again, thought so highly of him. They wanted to go under slot. And, you know, Evan White, he, jury's still out, but it looks like this could be the makings of, of a similar deal with uh, the McCullers. Correa Maybe light. Maybe it's not going to be to that extent, but where – um, the Astros went light on Correa, signed him under slot and, and went really heavy on, on McCullers in the second round to get him over slot. Mm. So, so it's going to be interesting to see Carlson's development. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Between, between that, the experience that he did get in Bucktown, uh, and then heading to Arizona, it is good to see that he's getting some innings because as, as DePoto outlined, 
a guy in the alternate site got maybe like 15 innings in terms of work. Yeah, not, not enough. Just, just, I mean, that's like what Carl Edwards got and he was hurt for most of mm-hmm. um, most of his season with the Mariners here. So um, again, these are little things that are facsimiles of what should be happening normally, but um, we'll take them for as far as, you know, making sure that uh, the, the fruit bears for, for the Mariners. One other thing to, to just mention um, is that there was kind of allusions to the idea of, of if the Mariners were to spend money or, or make acquisitions this, this season to try and get better in 2021 uh, in terms of uh, a wins perspective. Uh, we'll, we'll cover that later. We have, we have machinations to do a mm. deeper dive into what this offseason could look like for the Mariners. So we'll cover that. Um, and, and use what they said there as, as kind of the, the framework for, for how to approach things this offseason. Um, mm-hmm. Let's move on to things that we forgot happened this year. Uh, there were games, so, you know, an uh, easier thing to remember than 162 when this exercise is much more daunting because a lot happens in 162 game season. Uh, I'll start by saying Tom Murphy. Um, I was just going to say, yeah, Tom Murphy getting injured. I don't even, I didn't even remember he was on the team. Yeah. Tom Murphy getting hurt um, figured to matter more. I think that, you know, people liked what we saw with Austin Nola last year, but really liked what we saw with Tom Murphy, at least from, you know, on both sides um, at the plate and behind the plate, but Austin Nola was so good. And then Luis Torrance was so good right after that. And now it's like, well, you know, it's Torrens is the guy for now. Uh, and Cal Raleigh's coming up. Like, I don't know where Tom Murphy fits in any of that. Yeah, n- neither do I. And and I think I mentioned something to this effect on the last uh, episode of the podcast. Um, Murphy breaking his toe could have been one of the most impactful things that has happened to the Mariners in the last five years. Yeah. Because, you know, Nola does not get those at-bats. If, and he doesn't get that time behind the plate to show that he's an above-average defensive catcher, which is – pretty much what the entirety of his value is predicated on. He's got an, he's got a pretty good bat, but the fact that he's got a pretty good bat as an above average defensive catcher explodes his value. Mm-hmm. So, so him getting uh, Murphy getting hurt is, is, is really one of the most significant development developments that we're not really talking about here. But again, like you mentioned, I think they like Torrens a lot. I know they, they are super high on, on Raleigh, uh, um, Depoto has mentioned more than once that he thinks he's the most underrated prospect in all of the major leagues, uh, not making it onto top hundred lists. So they really like him. They really like Torrens and, and Murphy his you know, good, 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 good story last year, but it looks like his situation is getting a little precarious. It's interesting. I mean, give it the, you know, Cal Raleigh is, is not quite the prospect that Mike Zanino was, it was taken, I think third overall by the Mariners, mm-hmm. but um, you know, Zanino's, plight was in part due to the fact that he had to be rushed through the Mariners minor league system because there was nobody else. <laughs> and now right. we are in a situation where there's three guys um, who have promised and could all, you know, be, you could see above in, average. Yeah. In 2023, you could see a situation where all three are starters on either your, your team or other teams across the league, mm-hmm. uh, including Nola, who, who was a part of that as well. Yeah. They have realistically the 2020 Mariners could be carrying four catchers who who are major league regulars. Yeah. Pretty interesting. Um, what, what else did you forget about this year? You know, I forgot about shed long and that was sad. And I, 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 I just, again, talking about a guy who's, who's playing time is starting to, <laughs> the window's starting to shut. Uh, we talked about Dylan Moore and his versatility. Uh, so it's not necessarily a foregone conclusion that Dylan Moore is the second baseman here, but then, 
you know, we have Ty France, who's going to be DHing, but he's also kind of a second baseman. They'd like to move him to third base eventually once Seager moves off that, but that could be a year or two. And then you've got Hanniger coming back, who's going to take up a lot of DH time. And then you're going to want to move France on to second base. And then you got Dylan Moore getting reps at second base. And then all of a sudden, Shed Long sort of becomes an afterthought in, in this whole, in this whole system. And, you know, it's not, it's not, the book's not closed on him. He needs to have a strong, uh, I think of all the Mariners, he's the guy who needs to have the strongest spring training next year. But uh, if he can't show that he can move around the diamond, just like Dylan Moore, he, he might be in a little bit of trouble here coming up. Yeah. And one thing we, we should mention with Long that I, I don't actually know too much about myself, but he had a uh, surgery on a, a shin injury. I think mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. came up late in the season uh, and it was unclear as to how long that was bothering him. It, it seems as though he was playing through it the whole year. That was that was kind of the, yeah. the implication from how people were talking about it, um, which obviously is not great. But I, I you know, you, you don't want to get in anyone's head about why they, they you know, that yeah. you know, happened. And, you know, you don't want to assume medical negligence or personal negligence there. But um, it's it's unfortunate. And, 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 and that's the thing of all the seasons of all the seasons that you could like take your injuries a little bit more seriously and like not try and play through anything, this would have probably been the season for him to just shut it down. But you know, he elected to, you know, you know, it is what it is. Right. Yeah. It's too bad. He's extremely likable. And mm-hmm. you know, talking about versatility is the guy who played catcher can play in the outfield, uh, can play in the middle infield um, showed promise last year, but um, you know, I, I hope this isn't the end for him, but like you said, the, the window was, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Obviously you treat your injury differently this year than probably most years. Um, but this year was a perfect year for him to get a really good uh, spotlight on how, how he could play as a, as an everyday second baseman, but also oh, 60 games. Like, yeah, 60 games is a small sample. We have to continue to remind ourselves that that wasn't the plan. Um, I forgot that on August 8th through 16 games, the Mariners had a run differential of minus 40. Um, <laughs> they were real bad at the start of the season. They were real bad. And that was mostly predicated on the starting pitching. They were a five-win team that had the run differential of a three-win team through 16. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, they were terrible to start the season. And, and you know, I mean, what that's 16 games. They finish 25 and 35. So they go. Uh, 27 and 33. 27. Was that how it ended up? Yeah. So 22 and 22 from that point on that uh, point on hey that's pretty good it's an average team um yeah it's it was it there was a a growth throughout the year um both in terms of wins and you know quantitative results qualitative results really quickly the last thing that we've forgotten about um this it's it's such a minor news story that no one on the mariners you know twitter sphere divish dreyer Corey. uh Greg Johns, Corey Brock, no one's even picked it up. Malik Smith elected for free agency. He is no longer a Mariner. And I don't think anybody cares. <laughs> that was that was one of my my notes there is that Malik Smith is on this team. I, I didn't yeah. forget I did forget that. Uh well he's I, no longer on this team. I, I joked because back in March, he was the Mariners' highest rated player in terms of like fantasy baseball. Um was Malik yeah. Smith. Like Malik Smith was like this team was going to suck, but Malik Smith was going to rake. It was like, it was like a, that, yeah, was, that was a thought. Yeah. Uh, not even close. He, uh, he just got armed uh, as, as you, yeah. <laughs> but uh, this season in 45 at bats, he had six hits, two walks, 
and struck out 13 times. He was a big um, when he was in there. Uh, another thing I forgot, Yusei Kikuchi sneakily had a, a, a fifth this year of 3-3. Very good. And he got unlucky. Like, that's, that, again, if we were to have a 162-game uh, season, what you would see with that five, I think it was like a 5.5 ERA or whatever he had, that was coming down. And I, 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 I know it's like, we've said a lot of things and a lot of things have not turned out to be correct. Some of the things I've said have turned out to be correct. There is nothing I am more confident of than the fact that if we had 162 games of Yusei Kikuchi, his ERA would probably end up in the low fours. Mm -hmm. It's just, he was, you could see it. It was clear as day. He was fooling hitters. Hitters couldn't catch up with his fastball that ticked up. He had a really nice wipeout slider. The cutter looked really good. There, it was so clear that if you gave you say 162 games this year, he's going to be a good pitcher. Unfortunately, he got cut off at 60 games, but I, I, I think I saw enough of him to definitely warrant a, a good, strong next year. It's kind of the opposite of Justin Dunn, right? Justin Dunn mm-hmm. had a much higher a FIP than his ERA, um, and so the opposite would have been true. Given 162 games, right? He, you know, uh, shown who shown some more true colors at least of who he is at this point. Um, two quick things before I get into one larger point of, of something that I don't know if I forgot, but needs to be uncovered is just uh, give me a sec. Uh, we forgot about that little run Sam Haggerty had when he was like, yeah, actually, uh, like slamming. Uh, and then I am choosing to forget Kyle Lewis's last month of the season. Not going to talk about it. Not right. And, and, and I think that that last month of the season so what is it? It's probably 70 at bats that we're talking about here. Yeah. Guys go through it. Like he's, he, and, and he's young. He's, you know, he, we always forget he didn't go through triple a, he didn't, ha- he, and he had what 30 at bats in, in 2019 at the major league level. He's young. He came on so hot. The league's going to adjust. He's shown the propensity that he's able to adjust back. I, I'm really of all the things uh, about Kyle Lewis that worry me, that little slump there is, is not one of them. Cause he was still taking his walks. He was still hitting the ball pretty hard. The strikeouts ticked back up. I expect that to go back down. I, I'm yeah. The, the, the point I want to end on here for this second out is um, just how good Marco Gonzalez was this year. Um, and, mm. and here's, here's some, some tidbits. Uh, he led baseball with a strikeout to walk ratio of nine, one, four, three this year. So nine mm. strike, 9.143 strikeouts for every walk. Um, he walked eight guys all season, which is nuts. Um, here are your season leaders in that, that category for the last 20 years. So just the, the names of, of who else led that. Uh, and then I'll note whether they had a higher strikeout to walk ratio than, than, um, than, than Marco did this season, Max Scherzer, 2019, Justin Verlander, Corey Kluber, Rick Porcello, his Cy Young year, Max Scherzer again. Phil Hughes, um, when he was a twin, uh, that was a better better ratio than Marco had. Cliff Lee, Cliff Lee again. Roy Halladay, yeah. Cliff Lee, when he was on the Mariners, also better than Marco. Doc Halladay again. Halladay, CC Sabathia, Kurt Schilling, Carlos Silva, the Buffalo. Oh, hey. <laughs> uh, ben Sheets, this is 2004. And Ben uh, Sheets is a good, good pitcher. Ben yeah. Sheets could throw gas. Yeah. Uh, day. Doc Halladay again. Uh, Kurt Schilling again, also better. Kurt Schilling again, and Pedro Martinez. That is exclusive, exclusive company. And then this season, the top ten in that stat: uh, Kyle Hendricks for for the Cubs. I knew was, Hendricks was going to be second. He was he was wonderful. Kenta Maeda, he's good. For the Twins. He's a great pitcher. 
Zach Greinke, Yu Darvish, Trevor Bauer, Shane Bieber, Jacob DeGrom, Garrett Cole, and Brandon Woodruff uh, of, of the Brewers. Those are all, all, all except, all except for uh, Carlos Silva and, and Rick Porcello, but that was a great season from Porcello. All of those guys are aces. Um, yeah. And there's Marco above them in, in just this stat, but I don't think it's nothing. No, I, I don't think it's nothing either. I Marco is going to be underrated his entire career. We just have to accept that because he does not have blow away stuff. But he is a guy, when you talk about the difference between what is control and what is command, Marco Gonzalez is the example of a guy who has command. There's lots of guys who have control, who can throw it in the strike zone, who can get a strike when they want it. But Marco has that sort of extra special where he can go quadrant to quadrant and he can do it every single time. And and that's just a very special skill that is not accounted for by all the analytics. You know, analytics don't love Marco because he, he, he doesn't strike out a ton of guys. He doesn't do uh, anything particularly well, like spin rate wise, but he just has that undeniable command that's going to, and that's going to unfortunately keep him, off the you know Cy Young list for a lot of a lot of years because he doesn't strike he doesn't get eye popping strikeout numbers but he is if he can continue what he did this year I think he's every bit the ace that that uh, you know he's a top he's a top ten pitcher in the MLB like let's just leave it at that right certainly was this season um, mm-hmm. de- definitely in the AL and, and has has contention across the league I mean it, it, I was only looking for for this type of stuff after Depoto said that he deserves some Cy Young consideration I was like eh, I, don't, I don't know about that but. Yeah. Uh, truly, when, when you look at this type of thing, Marco was elite in that category uh, and what was pretty good in that regard last year, but had really, really upped his game um, this year. And kind of in a lot of ways is the, I don't know if he's the face of the franchise. I think that's probably Kellenic or, or, or Kyle Lewis at this point, but I think he's the model that this franchise wants to put up in terms of, of how you approach things. Yeah, and you know, one thing I'll mention is with um, guys that have his sort of skill set, you see them aging very gracefully. You see Kyle Hendricks aging gracefully. You saw guys like Greg Maddox age gracefully. Guys who don't rely on just wipeout stuff because eventually the wipeout stuff is going to leave you. But what doesn't leave you is your command, right? And so I, I really think there's a, there's a really good future for Marco for the next six, seven, eight years. I definitely noticed when DePoto talked about how Marco approaches um, a, a game plan better than other people who have had more talented stuff than he has. Uh, I wonder who he's talking about in that regard. I mean, it seemed like a, a direct, um, not shot, but allusion to Felix Fernandez of just a guy yeah. who had wipeout stuff and got away with it and was amazing for a long time. Won a Cy Young and something that Marco probably could never achieve, but um, I don't ever think that he was as detail oriented as, as, as Marco is here. And you saw how fast the crash happened, right? Yes. Because when that wipeout stuff leaves you, it gets ugly really fast. Yeah. Uh, third out here before we get into to some awards on this season are some some musings from uh, the playoffs that are currently happening. We're, we're a round through. We got through the, I, I guess that was all the wild card round. We went from 16 down to eight. Um, what, what have you noticed so far and what are you excited to see in the rest of these playoffs? Well, what I've noticed so far is the Marlins are still the playoff Marlins, you know, never lost a playoff series. I think they just lost today, though. So maybe maybe that'll come to an end. (laughs) But um, again, I'm just struck by how random the playoffs are. You look at the A's. The A's are a better team than the Astros are. They are by every single, you know, 
sort of indicator that A's are a superior team, but you have the Astros up five to two. They're already leading the series one, nothing. It really, it really is just a crapshoot. And that's why I love baseball. Once, you know, you have this 162 game season to figure out, are you good enough to get in the, into the, into the dance basically. And then once you're in the dance, anything goes, you know, and that's why I love baseball. There's no randomness about the regular season. It is usually, except for this year, obviously, because it was 60 games, but it is usually the best teams. And then once you're in there, anything goes. Yeah. Anything goes. I mean, um, Max Fried, uh, we talked about last episode, I had a shot at winning the NL Cy Young, hadn't given up a home run uh, in any appearance that he had been in this year. And then, uh, first at bat against Miguel Rojas today, <laughs> the Marlins take some yards. Yeah. So, I mean, does- the other thing I want to mention after I just mentioned how random the playoffs are, I do think it is slightly worth noting that the central divisions, all, all, you know, seven, I think they had seven teams in the playoffs ever. They went zero and seven in all their series. I wouldn't make a huge deal of it, but maybe there's something there that would say the AL Central and the NL Central where they're only playing again. Like this year was basically like a um, college football season, right? Where you're only playing the Pac-12 and then you're only playing the ACC. And then in the bowl games, we use those to decide, oh, well, that conference was weak or this conference was strong or whatever. Maybe there's a little bit of something there that the Central divisions are not quite up to the teams on the coasts. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a different story for – uh, well, I mean, the Cubs are obviously a huge disappointment, but they didn't play that well during the season. I think the, right. team, the Twins in, in Cleveland were the teams that actually disappointed. Mm-hmm. St. Louis wasn't that good. Uh, Chicago, you know, I don't know if they were ready for that. And they took it to three um, more than more more than Cleveland did and more than Minnesota did. Uh, I was I was very surprised by by both of those outcomes there. Um, what do you think about the format? Because uh, I was listening to, to Bukshiambi. Um, great baseball broadcaster. He was on the, the baseball barbecue uh, podcast with the, the guys from Cespedes Barbecue. Um, and he was talking about how don't mess with the postseason, right? Seven, seven game series, like, you know, high, we've talked about this before, high pressure, high intensity, high leverage baseball is awesome. It, it can mm-hmm. depend, I think, with, with any other sport in terms of, of the raw emotion, it drills out every pitch matters, but it's still, in this format where you still have 25 seconds in between pitches and um, it's, it's relaxing, but tense at the same time, it's a really cool thing. There might be too much regular season baseball. If you're, if you're trying to tinker with anything, his thought was make it 120 game regular season. Uh, You can extend the playoffs if you want to, um, but basically lean into more, more playoffs, less regular season. I tend to agree 60 games obviously was not what we wanted. You, you, you there was so much more to be had in the season, uh, but 60 kind of made 162 feel nuts as, as a, as a number of, of regular season games. Yeah, I, I, I disagree. I tend to disagree. I, I like, I'm a sucker for baseball. You know, if you wanted to play 300 games a year, I'd say sign me up. But in, in terms of, 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 uh, the playoffs, I know there's a lot of hand-wringing about, oh, well, eight teams is going to make the playoffs meaningless and, you know, teams aren't going to go out there and really try and, and put together a good roster because if they can just sneak into the playoffs, like we said, the playoffs are randomness and whatever. But I do like I, – I don't like eight teams. I think that's a little much where you're like the NBA where over half the league gets into the playoffs. But I do like having maybe six to seven teams where if you're a 500 team, you're still engaged throughout September. Um, 
I don't love the idea. Just like I hate the one game playoff that they had in the current format or in the current format, I guess the 2019 format, the one game playoff thing. It's, it's just randomness and that's not fair either. I don't even love five games. I would love to see something like maybe 154 games for the regular season, keep the current format with maybe six or seven teams and then actually extend all those series out to seven games. You can take off the you can take you can take some off the regular season to compensate for it. But if we're talking about moving down any further than 150, 154 games, I'm I'm out on that. I just I th- I think baseball is so unique and beautiful in the fact that there's a game every day and you can't catch every single one and that's okay cuz when you get home from work or if you have an off day, you can turn it on and and it's this sort of zen experience during the regular season. And then the postseason is a sort of extreme intensity. I really love that that dynamic that baseball has, and it would be a shame to see that go. Yeah, I I I, I do agree, and I think that that argument works for local markets, right? Like like it is, mm-hmm. it is wonderful that you know, as as a Mariners fan, you have uh, half of your year booked if you want to watch something on TV, or or right. in the normal year, go somewhere, do, you know, go to, go to the best beer beer garden in town, or just sit and and watch professional athletes do what they're great. Yeah, at. and it's and it's always on. You know, there's always a game tomorrow. That's the best part of it. But I I I think from a from a business perspective in terms of the MLB's growth, the problem is that people, then this is, I, I don't have the, the numbers in front of me or, or you know, the, the studies that would prove this to be true, but I think that baseball suffers from a problem where the average fan doesn't know who Ronald Lacuna is or doesn't know how right. good Ronald Lacuna is or doesn't, doesn't know what's coming down the pipeline uh, with the Rays. They don't know about Wander Franco in the same way that they would know about Zion Williamson because college right. basketball and first college basketball, there's a lot of things. So having these kind of less games, how can we showcase baseball more? And obviously this season sucked because we only played AL and NL West teams. Like I, I didn't, I didn't watch Whit Merrifield play at all this year. Um, right. right, right. I, I had him on my fantasy team, but that's, you know, that's it. I think that's kind of baseball's larger problem is like everyone knows who Mike Trout is, but until you have really had a chance to see Mike Trout play, you don't, you can't appreciate it in the same way. And, and well, then, then here's an idea, I guess I would say is if you, if you wanted to go that way and showcase the stars, you need to make uh inner division. You need to hold, scrap this whole, do what the NBA does. You need to scrap this whole notion of let's make the divisions really competitive and have AL West, AL Central, AL, AL East all play each other like half their schedule basically Mm -hmm. taper that down use the extra games that you're saving and and let them go see let the Mariners play the Braves every single year let the Mariners play the the Dodgers every single year so you can see those stars and that's how you make a regional sport national when the because I'm only what I'm probably as big of a baseball fan as there's ever going to be but even I will probably not excluding the playoffs even I will not be watching a regular season game between the Braves and the Cubs you know what I mean it's just it's just not something I would do uh but if it's the Mariners versus the Braves yeah I'm going to be tuned in and watching what Acuna does that I think that's the way you grow it if you want to talk about scrapping the the divisions and sort of making it just the AL and the NL, similar to kind of how the the NBA does it, and kind of just does okay, best eight teams in. Yeah. No, no, no division winner. It doesn't really matter division winner stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean it's baseball, so so some something that's old and antiquated and and seemingly important they'll hold on to forever. Uh, hint, hint, DH rule, but um, 
but I think that's an awesome idea. And, and even anecdotally, like thinking back and as you know, my memories of a Mariners fan, I can still remember like the, the, the 2005 or six Mariners run against the NL West when they weren't a very good team, but had an awesome interleague stretch. And the games were so memorable because you're playing against the Dodgers and Padres and teams that you never, you know, you don't see very often. Um, and so, and even playing the Astros when they first got over, like it felt new uh, when, you know, so, like f- seems like 50% of your baseball memories are against the A's angels and Rangers. So I, I think that that's, that's an awesome place to start shrinking the regular season a little bit, really dwell in the postseason, and then open the game up where everybody is seeing everybody. All right. Well, that, uh, that puts a, a bow on, um, the, the three up three down from this week, which was an extended one, but obviously, you know, we, we had a season to talk about. Um, so let's do what we did last year, uh, to end the season. I don't know if you remember this, but we did a little yearbook segment. Um, yeah, I do. Uh, memorialize this season. That was obviously a normal season. This was anything but that. Uh, but some some awards. I think some were, were holdovers from from last year. But um, you know, some are are maybe new or slightly new. The first one being the Hags Award. And obviously, you write Hags in someone's yearbook when just not that much to say about you. Kind of, kind right. of of, you know, we'll see if we have science together next year. Um, this is the award for the thing or or player about. That, that you are kind of ready to be done with. Um, so who gets your Hags award for 2020? Well, I would say my Hags award for 2020, if I could give it to a group, I would give it to the entire bullpen. I, there's just not a lot. There just was not a lot there that I loved. Um, even the guys, to be honest, even the guys we taught, Misevich, I guess he was a, a good story, but guys that we had a lot of hope for. Um, so Joey Gerber, Aaron Fletcher, uh, Carl Edwards, we thought he could have been a bounce back guy. None of those guys impressed. And it's really, really disheartening to see, especially Fletcher and Gerber struggle so much at the major league level, excuse me, um, just because those were kind of the guys you thought, hey, this could be the next wave of a bullpen. Yeah. Um, Eric Swanson is another guy in that, that mm-hmm. ilk of, as well of, I think, people <laughs> showing promise. Um, careful cough in there. Putting this, putting this out, people will hear that context. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, I might get contact. <laughs> but uh, people who can track COVID after listening to this podcast will we'll, uh, date it back to. Can I just say that, though, that like right now is a bad time for allergies. And like I always feel really self-conscious when I have to clear my throat or something because now it takes on a new meaning. You're, get, you're getting cough shamed. I am getting cough shamed. I don't like it. It's tough, man. Um, well, I had on my, my list for Hags Award also rando bullpen dudes um, because I yeah. I was just about done with it as well. I think that to me is the most striking difference between uh, Mariners baseball and playoff baseball is uh, when you're watching a playoff game. And again, these these are guys that I don't know. I don't I don't know who who the the, the uh, Rays bullpen arms are off the top of my head. I mean, the Rays have a pretty memorable bullpen, but yeah, uh, you know the uh, Braves bullpen or or, or mm-hmm. what. And they bring in a guy who has like a two, four ERA with, with like good numbers. And you're like, what yeah. is I'm used, I'm used to like, here's some guy I've never heard of. He has one appearance. He gave up seven runs and two thirds of an inning. Um, that, that is, I think when you think about the Mariners, obviously like a lot of these guys have to grow, but just a semblance of competence and, and stability in the bullpen uh, is a huge, huge area of improvement for the Mariners. Yeah, and that's a that's the low hanging fruit, right? We always talk about it. It's it's the easiest thing to fix, 
And luckily it's the thing the Mariners were the worst at. So yeah. should be should be quick turnaround in the bullpen. It's not as easy with your starters or your, you know, uh, position players, but the bullpen is usually a pretty quick fix. Quick there, I, I, at least for me, guys that I wouldn't mind sticking around in next year's bullpen, uh, Gerber at times, Johan Ramirez. I uh, like Ramirez. He needs to dial it in a little bit, but I like his stuff, obviously. Mishevitz and then Graveman. I think the, those yeah. guys. Oh, be- Graveman's great, yeah. Yeah. I think you have the the bones of a decent bullpen with Mishevitz and Graveman and if Johan can, and can do what he can do, but – yeah, pretty disappointed with, you know, the whole Joey Gerber experience. Fletcher was not great. And then you have the random guys like Brady Lale and uh, Yacobonis and, mm. God, I don't even know who else. Like, you know, those random guys that you just you just can't have it. You just can't have that. Yeah, yeah. Random random guys are good for, like, they get two appearances and they go away. But our random yeah. guys, like, stuck. We just couldn't get rid of them. Um, most likely to succeed. Uh, give me a prospect. Obviously there's, you know, a limited pool cause there's no triple A or double A stuff to talk about. Um, but a guy who maybe was a prospect now isn't, uh, that you are most confident in after what you saw this season. How about this guy who was a super prospect for a long time that, you know, the shine fell off him a lot, just to Sheffield. I loved what I said. I don't think we talk about him enough. He's going to get some rookie of the year votes. And yeah. I know it's crazy to believe that he is a rookie still, but uh, this was his rookie campaign and he was great. He was right behind Kyle Lewis in war. I mean, he was on pace for a five win season. It's, it's unbelievable how he, you know, his biggest bugaboo, which is what it's almost like Justin Dunn's a year behind. Hopefully we'll see Justin Dunn follow the same trajectory as Sheffield, but maybe not. Um, but he, he dialed in the strike zone. He got ahead of batters, and then he let that huge slider that he has really play up because he was ahead constantly, and that's the biggest thing. The Mariners talk about this all the time. It almost becomes like a joke, but controlled his own. You know, when you're up 0-1 or 1-2 on a guy, they don't know what's coming. You can throw any pitch, and that slider really plays up, and that changeup was a good out pitch as well. So so we, we, we love what we saw from Sheffield this year. Yeah, uh, he became Mr. First Pitch Strike at a certain point, this mm-hmm. season, and that that really changed him because his first, his maybe first start, first couple starts looked rough, um, but he once once he got dialed in, um, and maybe that first start honestly may have cost him like a, a serious uh, being in, in attention, yeah, with um, with uh, Kyle Lewis and um, Luis Robert from um, from Chicago as, as like a, a, a true guy there. I think he'll just kind of be um, a nice bronze finisher, but. Uh, that's a good one. I, I'm not with the guy I'm about to say, I'm not a hundred percent sold that he's going to be an all-star, but I have a feeling that he's going to be on the, the side of T-Mobile park as one of the, the big right. by for a long time. Evan white, Evan white, mm-hmm. 24 years old, had never played triple a um, already has a legitimate claim as the best first baseman in baseball, which totally. is, is like, if you're 24 and you've never played AAA, that's a big old coat rack to hang your hat on um, at this point. Um, and so my question is like, how, if you are the best first baseman in baseball defensively, how good do you have to be on offense to justify being a top 10 guy at that position? 20, uh, you know, it's a lot less than a guy like Vladimir Guerrero, who looks like a stiff over there. You know, Evan White does not have to be and, and by the way, I, I have every reason to believe, and I know you do too, that Evan White has a lot in that bat. We've yeah. seen it with how hard he hits the ball. 
he, I mean, I was just looking, I was going over his um, strikeout numbers in the minor leagues before, you know, before the podcast, he never struck out more than 22% of the time in the minor leagues, which is a really good clip. Mm -hmm. So there's no reason to believe he's a 40% strikeout guy like he showed this year. And if we, if there is reason to believe that he is the guy who hits the ball 120 miles an hour and he hits, you know, nine, what did he hit? Nine home runs in 60 games this year. So if he's a 30 to 35 home run guy, you're looking at a, a really, really good player. So I like that pick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, like you said, it doesn't take much offensively to justify. And I think that there's a, there's a lot of potential there. I don't think he's Pujols. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think no. he's Freddie Freeman or anything, but uh, he, he hits the bar, ball very hard. He works hard and he has a huge leg up um, in, in that regard. So I think, yeah, you know, I don't see why not though. The, the totality of his skill set. That I don't know if there's a guy with a higher ceiling than Evan White. I in in the organization, just that I don't know if he's going to get there. If if maybe the strikeouts will be a bugaboo at the major league level, but in terms of the defense that he plays, in terms of how hard he hits the ball, in terms of even when he was struggling this year, his ability to take a walk, and there's a lot, and I mean a lot to like about him. I'm yeah. excited about Evan White. Yeah, I mean you think about like if the alternative there was Daniel Vogelbach, of like yeah, Daniel Vogelbach might have a better at bat, not this year, but last not year, this year. might, might yeah. have been a, a better, well, Brewers vocal back maybe, but um, yeah. might've produced He's at home in Milwaukee. <laughs> might've produced a better at bat than, than Evan White does at this point, but Daniel Vogelback could never touch what White has defensively. And, 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 and JP Crawford is going to be in the JP Crawford is going to be in the gold glove consideration because of Evan White. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's any other, any other first baseman, he's probably an average shortstop. He is in the gold glove conversation because of Evan White. And again, we've talked about it in the past where, you know, first base defensive metrics are still a black box in terms of trying to figure out really what's going on, but you, you can see it as clear as day. What's, what's going on over there. All right. The, uh, the glow up award. Um, so, you know, not to be, not to be crass here, but this, this happens to, to both, uh, you know, boys and girls in, in, in high school, you, you're, you're kind of an ugly duckling. And then you come back from the summer, little tan worked out a little bit. All of a sudden you're hot. This is sort just, of like us. <laughs> yeah. Sort of like us in a couple summers. We'll, we'll finally get yeah, it. Yeah. Once uh, we get there. Who, who, who is on the cusp of that glow up um, for, for, for you where, you know, things were, you know, it is what it is. This might not even be a guy that was on the roster this year. Uh, but they're going to come out hot next year. How about this guy who we just got, Ty France? I really loved his at bats that he was putting up. That that he he is just like you know how we used to make the joke back in the day with Seth Smith that he is just like a professional hitter. He just yeah. takes great at bats every single time. There's never a time where he's not taking a professional at bat. That so guy, much. yeah. But Ty France is in that mold where it's just every at bat you have confidence that it's just even if he doesn't get on base you know even if he doesn't you know pops up whatever you know that he's putting the best out at bat out there and he's making the pitcher work for everything because if the pitcher does throw a bad pitch he's going to make that he's going to punish that mistake and it's it's stressful for the pitcher to be up there knowing that there's a guy like that i i see i see ty france as a 280 290 sort of hitter with a really high on base percentage and and some pop to go with it we saw that he could demonstrate a little pop so I don't know if if we're going to love him in the field. I know that he says he's a natural third baseman and that's where DePoto wants to put him. I don't know if he's going to ever be anything more than a middling fielder, but that bat is very real. Mm. And I mean, 
that in, in a perfect world, he's your, he's your DH and you don't have to worry about that. Uh, exactly. But can fill in at, at, the, at their own possessions and be, you know, somewhat semi-serviceable. Uh, I had JP Crawford here, not for any great reason, more just hopeful optimism. Um, no, I think, but talk about a professional at bat. That's he, another he, guy. He took a big step forward. I think he was much better at the start of the year. Uh, I think he just has to kind of figure out who he is as a hitter. Um, is, is he just uh, like um, – I, I don't have the comp off the top of my head, but he's just, he just the guy that, you know, ends up with six home runs at the end of the year, but that's totally fine. He's still an effective guy because, you know, he's, he's getting on base for you over and over, or is he still trying to, uh, to pull the ball and, and to hit into gaps and things like that? So well, think- you just said it perfectly. He gets in trouble when he tries to go pull happy. He's at his best when he's spraying the ball all over the field. And we saw that time and time again. And actually I know it's counterintuitive, but he hits for more pop when he's going the other way too. So it's, I think that is something he, again, that's a good pick because I feel like that's another guy on the verge of, of something special. And another guy who's got one half of the ball figured out already. He's a, a plus right. plus defensive player, uh, has great tools, awesome speed. Um, I think for, for him to take the strides he did this year without Perry Hill um, defensively mm-hmm. was, was really nice to see. Um, so I, I mean, I would love to see JP Crawford take a big step forward. That's probably why I have him here, but I don't think it's impossible that, um, he's got another level or two to jump um, in the next couple of years. The uh, the Peakton High School Award. So, you know, this is an, e- an easy one um, that we can all empathize with. Uh, definitely not us. We are not sending stars, Phil. Um, some of us were on the covers of, of magazines, even for how how <laughs> how much ascendancy we have. Uh, these, 425 these- Magazine. Let's not get crazy here. These guys are uh, the players who we're worried aren't going to get any better um, based off of what we've seen. Who do you got for this one? I think it might be your guy too, but it's, it's a really clear answer. Justin Dunn. Yeah. I mean, the, this, this stuff was bad and it was not, and it wasn't even bad in terms of like, Oh, we were hoping he was going to have a tick up and it never came. I don't understand what happened to him. He was throwing 93 to 95 with a nice slider and, and never had even a, a, a remote uh, worry about command issues or control issues. And then he comes back this year throwing 90, 80. He's sitting 89, 88 at the end of his starts. He can't even maintain that 91 velocity. And that's fine for some guys. We see it with Marco. That's totally fine. But with him, he can't even hit the strike zone, much less command the quadrants. So there has to be a market change in his whole profile or he's not going to make it. There's just nothing good about it at what we saw this year from him. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, another name here is Shedlong. We talked about him earlier. Um, the, the unfortunate uh, situation here with this being the opportunity, but the potential for the injury to, to play into that. Uh, and another guy, your guy, uh, Jake Fraley, um, just in mm-hmm. terms of opportunity and window, it's going to be tough um, as, as the next, this outfield wave comes, you know, with next year having Tramiel, Hanniger, uh and Kellenic all in the mix as they weren't this last season um, with Kyle Lewis firmly securing one of those, those spots, seeing where Jake Fraley is going to end up um, after really nothing but really bad stints. And at the end of the end of 2019 was bad uh, before he got hurt. And this year was, was, terrible as well and, um, and you sort of feel for him because he's got kind of the same treatment that Braden Bishop's getting where they're you know kind of getting pulled up and stops and starts and and they never yeah. really get to take those everyday at bats but just there's not a lot there when they are taking their bats you know what I mean it's just 
it's just like some guys, even when, you know, we've watched enough baseball in our life where you can see, okay, you know, he's struggling right now, but there's, there's something there. You can see that this guy can put together a competent at bat. Fraley, uh, uh, Bishop, uh, it's kind of the same thing with Malik Smith and D Gordon. You, they just, they just look uncomfortable at the plate. They're hot. DePoto always likes to talk about low anxiety hitters like Ty France. He's the perfect example of a low anxiety hitter. A guy like Fraley, a guy like Bishop, a guy like Malik Smith, that's the exact opposite. They are super high anxiety, swinging out of their shoes, taking pitches right down the middle, you know, just 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 looking generally, you know, without a paddle. Well said. Uh, the, the last award here, the What Happened to That Guy Award. Um, and this is one, you know, you're, you're in your middle school or high school and you get to like October and you're at the lunch table and be like, do you know what happened to Jake? Like, he's just not, yeah. <laughs> you find out that he transferred to some private school and, and you didn't even know that. Um, the the player that you could, you know, is kind of in the mix now, a guy that we talk about often, whether they're on the the, the team right now or, or will be in a couple of years, who could be fodder for a potential trade. So I'm not sure about the fodder for potential trade part, but the guy that I had in mind for this was a guy that was actually a somewhat heralded piece coming back in the Cano trade. We didn't get to see him this year, Gerson Batista. Mm. And I, I, I mentioned him for one reason, because in spring training 1.0, the, not the summer camp, the first yep. spring training that he was in, he was good. And he was locating and he was throwing 98, 99, and he had good breaking stuff. And we all, I remember, I think I even mentioned it on the podcast. I think it was our last podcast before the coronavirus hit. Uh, wow. I was, I, I think this guy's, I think this guy's really something. And then, you know, we go into spring training 2.0. We don't see Gerson. He's now at the alternate site. We still don't see him. And, and he kind of just gets lost in the shuffle. And now, you know, Depoto's talking about, well, we need to reinforce the bullpen and, 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 and maybe yeah. Gerson's just one of those guys. We just don't really remember. Uh, totally agree in terms of, of, Totally forgot about him up until until you just said his name. Another name that is kind of in that regard for me is uh, Dom Thompson Williams, a guy who came back mm-hmm. in the uh, uh, the I can't remember Paxton. his name. Paxton trade, yes, uh, from the Yankees, um, who had promise looked a lot like Golden Tate, like actually looks. Yeah, like he does. Golden. He looks a lot like Golden Tate. Um, and and had seemingly some some tools, but then I think had a big injury i forget what but definitely towards uh, achilles yeah there you go um and, and was out but he he will be in that arizona fall site so hopefully um a, a chance for him to kind of rejuvenate his but again we we look at the outfield and it's yeah. like where you know yeah but but through surplus you can you can exactly and, and exactly. In elsewhere so you know having having eight good outfielders is not a, is you know a, it's a, not a problem yeah, yeah absolutely you can turn yeah. it into the bullpen help that we desperately need um mm. so that that is something that uh, i had for this I, I don't know the answer to this question but i'd imagine that whoever this person is that i'm thinking of that, that is you know fodder for a trade they're on that 40 man in in arizona where scouts can see them and get a good look and, exactly. and to see uh what they have there and you know so so some you know there's there's some obvious choices for who made that roster but i think a few that they're just trying to get a look at so that, you know, someone who's interested could, could possibly um, see promise in them. This is your chance now, Phil, this is, uh, this is the state of the, the Mariners union. Um, the podium is, is yours. There's plexiglass around all sides. Good. Uh, am I six feet away? I don't want any, <laughs> yeah. I don't want any uh, repeats of like the presidential debate or anything like that either. 
Yeah, the the press secretary has has um, you know she just handed you her documents. She sneezed on them before before she. <laughs> um, but uh, but the floor is yours. You did this last year. You get the chance to address the audience. Uh, how do you feel as as a Mariners fan? You know what, what's the outlook right now? What's what's the future look like? Let's, okay, so let's flash back to the same time this year. Uh, last year is what I mean. Um, we started talking about how 2020 was going to be such an exciting season. The year 2020 has been exciting, uh, mm-hmm. not generally in the best ways, um, but there is a lot of excitement, and that and that did hold true for for the Mariners as well. There was a lot of excitement. I want people to remember those who are diehards watching the 2019 roster where you're going around the horn at third base. You had Ryan Healy at at shortstop. You had Tim Beckham at second base. You had, I don't even know who you had at second base. Like D Gordon at first base, you had uh, Vogelbach. Uh, It it, it was, it was a mess. And we knew 2019 was going to be a mess when we had this step back here. Um, But 2020, that's your core. The guys you watched this year are the guys that are going to be on the team for for the foreseeable future. So these are guys that we actually love to root for. Like It's hard getting too excited about a guy like Tim Beckham. It's hard to get too excited about a guy like Ryan Healy putting up marginal stats. You had guys like Ryan Court in the outfield, if you even remember who that is. This year you saw – I hate to even use the word foundation because that's so trite, but you saw a sort of – you saw the you saw the outline. You saw the picture being created. Like you know what's happening here. And and like I said with Depoto, you can have your gripes about him, but there is a certain level of confidence that I think he has earned from the Mariners fan base that he is he's a, a, at the very least competent at his job and at the at being generous, he's he's good at his job. And I think that is something that going into the 2021 season, I have not been more excited for a Mariners baseball season in a long time than I am for 2021. And it's, it's a nice thing to feel. Well said, Mr. President. I, um, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, like my, my own knowledge, the fact that I can, I can pull a name like Don Thompson Williams yeah. is a true, a total Testament. Well, this podcast helps a lot. It helps kind of own the sword yeah. for, for, for this types of thing, but um, it's a total testament to the interest that I have in, in the whole thing. It's it's just never been this way where there are not just the 25 guys in the roster, but there's, there's 60, there's so much wealth. Yeah. Names that you are attached to because there's a plan for them going forward, or at least you, if you could, if you could fast forward me to February, uh, late February of next year, I would gladly take that. Not even for like all the virus considerations and stuff. Well, partially that, but, um, <laughs> I just want to, I'm so, I, this 60 game season just did not satisfy my hunger. Like it didn't do enough. Like I'm so excited to watch the 2021 Mariners. And I, I, I have a very strong feeling that the fans that have said, I've sworn off Mariners baseball. This is 20 years of incompetence, blah, 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 blah. Those guys are coming back next year because I think it's going to be a really fun, young, exciting product. Yeah, and hopefully we can come back in person and, and enjoy them at, at T-Mobile yes. Park and at parks across the country. Um, yeah, let's uh, let's give out our, our, our bike ride here. Um, I'll, I'll start. Um, I think the 162 game season maybe time to take a bike ride in, in some capacity, a small a small bike ride or or a, a longer one uh, depending on on your view of things. But um, yeah, I, I mean, was- again, I don't I I don't I wouldn't be like 
so mad at if it happened, but I love this 162. I just I just think it's great. Uh, it would come it would come with a, a trade off elsewhere. They wouldn't just take 162. Yeah, 162 off and then not add it elsewhere. Probably in in the postseason. Um, but I I do think that there's going to be a concerted effort to streamline the season in some way. Uh, and then my other one is pitchers holding bats. Never again. Never nope. again. And did you see Manfred said that it's not for certain that the DH is coming to the NL permanently? I really hope that's just like a negotiating point because it needs to come to the NL, NL permanently. Never again. Nope. Doesn't need to happen. Doesn't. What? Why? Why? Why do we need to see people flail um, it takes away one ninth of a lineup, like one ninth of your lineup. That's a lot. Like one ninth is basically an automatic out. That is so bad. That is so I, terrible. I would, I mean, I could probably just make up a stat of like, you know, 45% of the double plays that happen in the national league are, are due to, due to pitchers, but just like, it's true. Or like strikeouts, yeah. like all that stuff. It's just like, it's not worth it. The one time the pitcher like comes through, it's like, cause it's so few and far between. And then the apparel costs of getting them those jackets they have to wear after they, they <laughs> it is insane how they, they have to put a jacket on. <laughs> no, like it, 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 even in like 80 degree heat, it's like, dude, you probably don't need that. It's fine. Yeah, it's, like, it's so weird. Um, yeah, no more. I'm done. Yeah, I'm done with it too. All right. Mine, uh, mine, my, my bike ride of the week. It's a guy we actually mentioned earlier in the show, Willie Bloomquist. Wow. He got mad on Twitter about a bat flip. And this is like a kind of a tongue in cheek, kind of a tongue in cheek bike ride. Because like, honestly, I don't, I don't mind when like old baseball players are like mad about it because it's like, it's fun. Like it's a vestige of the past, like play the game this way, play. And it create, and it's like, I, the other thing that I really don't like is when everyone makes when some guy makes a bad take on Twitter, like Will it poor Willie did. And then everyone has to like go and dunk on him. It's like, dude, we know it's wrong, but you don't have to like go and dunk on him like a hundred times to like prove your point. Like let him think what he wants to think. It's not hurting anyone. If he thinks that the bat flip is stupid, you know? So yeah. he gets, he gets my bike ride, but it's a, it's a very loving bike ride this week. You're speaking to a societal problem of um, our, our tendency to uh, attack when, when we disagree. Um, and yeah. And that's Twitter's problem is that the avalanche can come uh, fast and hard, but yeah, you don't mess with Port Orchard's finest like that. Um, my dad was a huge Willie Bloomquist fan uh, and an, an important Mariner. Uh, he was yeah. for, for a while, honestly, it was, it was like him and Felix and Kyle Seeger were the only, and they were the, they were the Mariners. Yeah. Start to finish. Uh, we owned their entire career uh, yeah. or like development process. That was he was an important Mariner. I'm glad you said that because like, yeah, that, that was a, he's a, first of all, he's from the greater Seattle area Then yeah. came up through the Mariner system. Yeah. Just a very important Mariner. You're right. My, uh, my yellow hydros this week uh, are two guys who are a little counterintuitive for, for this award. These are normally reserved for, for um, conventionally good things. Uh, Carlos Correa and Trevor Bauer. And yeah, I, I saw that in the free thing notes, and I was like, "What? What's going on here?" Yeah. I don't have the quote in front of me of, of Korea, but um, after after they beat the who they beat in the first round, there uh, they beat the uh, Twins. Twins, is that right? Yeah, they beat the yeah. Twins. Um, they swept the Twins, and he was saying basically how um, you know what, what do people say now after after we made it this far without without cheating and all that? 
the answer is still F you, right? Like, like yeah. you, guys, you guys cheated, lied about it, uh, were smug about it, uh, and expected people to be nicer to you afterwards. Um, so why is he on this list? Well, because baseball loves and needs villains and the Astros. Yeah. Controversy sells. That is unfortunately, I think the, the biggest cost of this season being a virtual season, if you will, uh, was that we didn't get 181 road stadiums for, or mm-hmm. not different stadiums, but um, a bunch of other stadiums freaking out at the Astros and, and um, it'll happen next year. Putting them through hell. Yeah. I mean, to a lesser Even extent. Even if it's at 50% capacity to start the year, I guarantee the booze will be loud. I will, I will consistently say this until the day I die that baseball's peak in terms of, of interest and in, in eyeballs was when Pedro Martinez grabbed Don Zimmer's <laughs> Yeah, that was the best moment. That that was that was baseball like crossing over into a, a territory that I mean it really only achieved in like steroids and last summer with, mm-hmm. with the, or last winter with the with the Astro stuff. Um, and so this type of thing is is it brings eyeballs to the game. It's like you accidentally watch a baseball game because you cared about this other thing. Yeah. That's 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 the NBA. They bring, yeah, you're right. Controversy is a great thing for the sport. I, I would agree. The NBA, and, had, had, like LeBron pissing people off, was the best thing that could have happened to the NBA by by mm-hmm. by turning heel and going to the Heat. Um, it, it introduced something to the to the audience that has forever changed the sport and how we talk about it. Um, and that's why Trevor Bauer is on here too. Trevor Bauer is is like a, a firebrand personality extremely extremely talented pitcher pisses people off um ignites twitter um is is a thoughtful guy he can stick around well he's thoughtful sometimes and other times you you scratch your head at what he's doing but like the sound of voice that's 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 true but he he, i mean he he has thoughts and that's you know people know who trevor bauer is and they're not even talking about spin rate and right 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 he and it's it's why like i talked about with kellenick of like kellenick posting the smh thing it's just like cool like good for baseball yeah make yourself more interesting make baseball more interesting than just the uh, the on the field stuff because and that's the other thing about baseball they market their stars they're trying to but they market them in such like a safe manner where it's like a commercial with them like hitting the ball and being like it's time to play you know it's like that's not what really people want to see you know The NBA never had to do commercials with that with its players. It's just yeah. they just let them tweet whatever the hell they want. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's uh, it's it, guys like Correa and Bauer, like they're humans and they, they're they're kind of dumb sometimes and they, they say things that piss people off. But like you can't tell me that they don't matter for the popularity of the league. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go with uh, uh, a group of people here, but the Seed Fleet fans. That was kind of fun, wasn't it? I hope I never have to I hope I never have to see that again in my life. But uh, making lemonade out of lemons, it was a really nice thing and I, I I believe that the proceeds from the Seed Fleet are going towards coronavirus relief. Yeah. Um, so again, just a, a win-win making lemons out of or making lemonade out of lemons. And I, I really appreciate everyone who bought one. And it was just nice to see faces in the stands. Even It just looked nicer than just like a barren, desolate stadium with like 18 people on the field. You know, it looked nice. It looked like there was a little bit more life. Looked way better than the Angels product. I'll tell you, the Angels was the, the saddest stadium in baseball from what yeah. I saw. Like the tarps over, over things, not having a, a seat fleet like that. Also way better than virtual fans. Miss me. Yeah. 
I think those are the so NBA weird. virtual fans are very weird. Yeah, uh, I don't like th- those are fine because they're actually like you know human faces, but like the the Fox. Oh, you're talking about the Fox Sports? Yeah, those <laughs> it looks like a video game. Yeah, it looks like The Sims. Uh, uh, I don't want anything to do with that. So yeah, Sea Fleet was fantastic. It was it was something to be proud of to to look out into to left field and and see all of left field. It kind of shows like wow, it's like if the Mariners were really good, this is what the stadium looked like all the time. Yeah, it's a sleeping giant of a fan base. It really is. Um, we will show up once you give us a reason to. Um, happened with the Seahawks, and as you know, uh, the Seahawks is a religion in in the Northwest now. Oh, uh, I really hope the Mariners fans don't turn into Seahawks fans. That would really sour the whole experience. I don't, they, I don't think they have the attention span to become yeah. Mariners fans. Um, but you, you never know. We, we, we take some of it, but not all of it. Not, not, yeah, the, like, not all of that. <laughs> not, not the fringe Chesney concert people. No, no. That we know and love. Uh, all right, Phil. Well, this, this was, uh, this was an odyssey. I think this is an hour, half hour, 45 long, but. Um, hey, we, I like uh, that. Uh, at, we've teased it for for a very long time. We're 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 we're, we're working on it. Uh, the new feed will be up uh, hopefully. I think middle of the month or so. Um, can't wait for you all to see the logo here we got going on there. But it'll sound a lot like this, but I think a little bit more focused, and um, you know, we'll be a little bit more intimate yeah. on, on that stuff. And, and thanks for listening and like letting us. And I I know you love baseball and I love baseball, and just being able to talk about it for like an hour and a half every week is probably my favorite. And I should mention that uh, when the off season does kind of begin in earnest, we're probably going to taper it down to once every two weeks or so, just because there isn't going to be as much news, but we will make those, try and make those a little bit longer. So, yeah. Yeah. Like I said, some creativity coming your way. Well, thank you, Phil. Uh, We will be in touch about uh, the pod and some other stuff, but uh, yeah, this is great. All right, buddy. Take care. You will.